Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Today, we're going to be talking about um, constructing your clientele. And what we mean by that is um, gaining the clients that you're looking to work with and, you know, picking, uh, well, not picking necessarily, but um, I guess you could say picking and choosing Mm -hmm. who you want to work with based on that. Um, Instead of kind of taking on everyone, a lot of coaches get to this point where they only want to work with certain clientele, or maybe that's their goal from the very beginning, which, you know, if, if that's your goal from the very beginning, let's say to work specifically only with athletes, and let's say it's athletes of any kind, that's not the best place to start, okay? So for a couple of reasons, one being you don't have enough knowledge to strictly work with athletes off the start. You need to work with a broad base gen pop Um, And you can trickle in some athletes here and there, but you need to understand how the body works. You need to understand how to train each base of clientele throughout that gen pop. And you need to understand that like not everyone is an athlete and not every uh, athlete in general is going to react to the same things. Not every sport needs trained the same way. Mm -hmm. Not so you see this, you know, to kind of piggyback off that, even you see this a lot in like powerlifting, is people will do a couple meets, uh, bodybuilding's huge with it, like bikini girls and bodybuilders and stuff. They do a show, powerlifters, they do a couple meets and all of a sudden they're a coach. What do you actually know besides powerlifting? You know, what what do you actually know? And they'll start taking on like athletes and things like that and like people in gen pop and I understand trying to maybe get people to try powerlifting. That's all well and good, Mm -hmm. but like the difference, there's two different things between sport training and powerlifting. It's, it's two separate things. There's Mm -hmm. different ways to train it. Um, not to say like, you know, sport athletes can't benefit from some powerlifting aspects, but it's just a different methodology. And what you typically see is these people will try to train everyone the same way. And yeah. it's not, it's not really how it works. So, which is a sign of how much they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll see it a lot. Like I actually made a post about this years ago, a couple of years ago where, um, I was noticing that a lot, like a lot of people were just coming out automatically wanting to work with athletes. And that's, that's not how it works. Like you can't just start out that way. Let's say you, you bring in, and I've seen this before, you know, especially down the road at some of these, uh, athletic performance places um yeah so they get handed people that are let's say d1 athletes from high school around here that are possibly going d1 d2 for sports Mm -hmm. and they have no clue how to train an athlete at that caliber and not only that like you're wasting their potential by training them wrong as well Um, but it's because these people they go get their little exercise science degree you know, mm-hmm. or maybe they played a sport and were D1, D2, D3, whatever in college. And then they think they know how to train an athlete just because they train them the way they were trained. So who says your coach was right either? Right. You know, so um, if you want to, you know, construct a certain clientele that you want to work with down the road, mm-hmm. that's 100% fine. I do it right now. Like the people that I do take on, are um, powerlifters, I try to generally um, weed out the ones that I think will, one, annoy me too much, um, two, ask way too many questions. I like people that have already been a little bit in powerlifting 
Um, if I do take on someone new, I kind of screen for that because it, 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 I want people that are only in it for the long haul and that are in it f- to be serious, not someone who wants to do one meet and get out. Um, so I try to screen for that the best I can. Um, and then if I need to, you know, I, I have other coaches or other references for mm-hmm. other people to go to, you know, and then templates and things uh, if needed. But I didn't start out one. I didn't start out that way. Right. You know, I started out in Gen Pop and I worked my way up. Two, the the way I attracted those people that I want to work with now is by producing results. Yeah. When you start producing results, you start to attract that other clientele. Now, I will say, <laughs> I have like the least social media driven clientele I think in the sport. Like, I am, pro- <laughs> I am probably yeah. tagged um, the least amount for the simple reason that my clients don't post anything. <laughs> It, I mean, if you guys are listening, start fucking posting. Because if you don't understand the the algorithm of Instagram, the more you post, it only helps my coaching grow. And it helps yourself grow, too, if that's what you want. But it helps me a ton if you just simply tag me in your story or post and tag me so I can comment on it, share it, whatever I need to do. And I can also share it to our business page and see, you know, people can mm-hmm. see your progress and all that stuff. Anyway, that's a different side game. But um <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the people I've coached, they've produced results. And a lot of people I've coached for nutrition, they produce results. So now the clientele that I do get is generally people that are more serious. Um, on the nutrition side, I, a fair amount of them are elite level athletes. These are people um, that are in, you know, ranked in open powerlifting. Um, there are people that ha- are doing shows and have won shows. And, you know, I can't. I can't remember the last time one of my clients placed outside the top five in a show. It's been a while, you know, from a sports standpoint, uh, I try not to take on too many sport athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will take on some of the upper level ones that I think have good potential. So what I mean by that is the, again, the kids are going to show up, the kids are going to do work and the ones that are typically, they're probably going D one you know, maybe D2, but they're they're high level athletes. They're good athletes. They understand things. Um, and it's only going to help them um, to not go to one of these places that is going to ruin everything that they have in, in their genetic potential by training them wrong. So, but the one, the way, like I said, to get there, produce results. Mm-hmm. Two, you have to advertise in a way that you're bringing those people in. So, when you're advertising the, I mean, how do I word this? The quick fix, hey, I got an eight-week challenge. Let's all do this uh, challenge together. It's a hundred bucks to join. You know, blah blah blah. You get a program, all this stuff. You're not bringing in the serious people that you want to work with. You're bringing in the quick fix people, the people that want to pay for something, get into it, expect great results in eight weeks, and be done with it. You know, you're also going to get, if you market too cheap, if you market your, your services too cheap, you're going to get cheap clientele. What I mean by that is like you're going to get clientele that doesn't want to put in the work. Exactly. They want to get by and skate by on the least amount of work possible with spending the least amount of money possible. Mm-hmm. And they're going to ask you an uh, ass load of questions <laughs> Yeah. because they don't respect your price point. Respect yourself, respect your own price point, and raise your prices then. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's also another way to weed out the people that are serious and not serious. Now, not to say everyone needs to work with serious athletes because that's not everyone's niche. Right, right. So 
there are people I've seen them. I mean, they're all over Instagram. There's people making six figures a year working with average everyday Joe people down the road that just want to live a little bit healthier life. Yeah. And if that's your clientele base, go for it. And you advertise for that clientele base and you promote that clientele base, but don't work with those people. Then think you're going to be able to train some elite level athlete. Doesn't work that way. Right. Unless you know a high amount and you're just choosing to work with those people, but then you're lacking the experience of working with the upper level people. So that's another thing in itself. Yeah. Knowledge and experience uh, go hand in hand, but they're not the same thing. I mean, you come out of college, like you were talking about these, you know, folks that speaking from experience, the exercise science guys, like that's what I was in undergrad. Yep. And you come out and you're like, I have all this knowledge. You have no ability to apply it. No. And the lack of application makes a huge difference in what you're actually able to do. But just because you decide that you're going to open up a training facility and you're going to work only with athletes and you suddenly get all this experience, that experience doesn't automatically translate to knowledge either. So if you went in not knowing anything and you didn't take the time to actually learn something along the way, just because you happen to fill a niche working strictly with athletes doesn't mean you're doing a good job. It just means that you managed to get a loophole in the system and are working with them. And again... Like getting your exercise science degree doesn't mean shit. It really doesn't. Even, I mean, it, you you learn things and you're taught things. But like when I went back to school for exercise science, and I had already, um, you know, been studying on my own, been reading the NSCA book, you know, doing things on my own and stuff, researching. Um, and I got out of the military and went back to school for exercise science. One of the hardest classes I had in the. <laughs> in the uh, degree was basically a prep for the uh, ACSM test. And I remember the the professor up there, oh, well, this is a hard course. Uh, The people in here average about a C average. I have to curve a lot of the tests just to pass you guys. You talk this big game, I fucked that thing up. (laughs) You know, I walked out, like that, your tests are a joke. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I, I can't remember my exact percentage. It was an A, I had an A in the course, but like, I mean, those things just got blown away. I think there was one test where I was like a little tricked up on, Mm -hmm. um, but it it still wasn't anything. Like I didn't fail the test or anything, but it's like the overall grade. And like he was talking this big game, like (laughs) it's like the hardest course in the major and all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's because you guys don't prepare the people for this, obviously then. So, but you know... um, I see plenty of people that come out of exercise science that still don't know anything. And the, the, the degree and the tests and stuff, it's not overly hard. Now, honestly, for myself, um, the hardest part for me because of the poor education I had in high school because of the school I went to, and we won't get too far into that, but mm-hmm. like was math and the math and sciences were the hardest parts for me. Mm-hmm. You Because know? um, in high school, I had to teach chemistry to myself, which is a whole other story. And, um, imagine being 17 years old, trying to teach chemistry to yourself. Not fun. Um, I'm trying to imagine or remember being 17 and trying to learn chemistry in yeah, general. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to teach. I myself. got injured uh, quick story. I got injured in football and I was out of school and mm-hmm. I was supposed to apparently have a tutor. Never got that. Um, so I was teaching this stuff for myself and I came back and they're like, Oh, you ready for, you know, your second nine weeks test. Like I've been out the whole nine weeks. I had to drop chemistry basically because I was going to fail it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. You know, so um, I think I actually did take the test and like failed it. So I'm like, yeah, let's not do chemistry. But anyway, long story. Um, 
you know, the, the, again, so the degree's not overly hard. But coming out of that, it's like that's the baseline to entry point of the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. It's not and even after a couple of years in, you're still going to keep learning. Now, I know a lot of people are putting out stuff online. This is another thing that pisses me off is a lot of people are putting out information online, which is great. A lot of videos, a lot of YouTubes, a lot mm-hmm. of explanatory stuff online. And people are taking that and just regurgitating what they saw, not knowing how to apply it. They just simply post and regurgitate or they'll say it to their clients, even though that's like not the fix. Right. That's not the thing you need to do, but it sounds fancy or it sounds right. And the clients mm-hmm. don't know any different. So they're like, you know, they probably eat it up, but it opens a fantastic conversation about results mm-hmm. because immediately what comes to mind, I'm thinking about situations we've talked where you'll see somebody give a cue online for a fix. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that was the cue that was the fix for them, but it becomes the fix for everybody. Yeah. So in the moment, that person looks like they really know what they're talking about. The person they're working with is thinking they really know what they're talking about. And they spread the word about this coach who seems to be very competent, very intelligent, but then no results come later. Yeah. But people don't necessarily always pay attention to the lack of result. They're paying attention to that like one acute moment where they think they must really be good because look, they had an answer. They don't look at, was that the right answer? Did it actually help me at the end of the cycle, at the end of the competition prep? And, you know, two years later, if I'm still pulling the same weight, but I got a good cue, you know, 24 months ago, and they've been working on that one cue with me. Yeah, but what's your total? Yeah. What does that result look like? You see that happen all the time on social media. Yeah. They're just, like you said, they're regurgitating information that isn't actually applicable. Yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes it is like, it is the client's fault. Like if you give them a cue or whatever and they still can't get it right or they, I've had clients that get it right and then revert back to something else and then you have to fix it again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so sometimes it does take time to develop those skills and that's, that's fine. You know, sometimes it is the client's fault though. Um, the quicker they learn, the quicker they get those cues, the better, you know, but when all of your clients have that, when they're all moving bad, yeah. When they all haven't got better, I mean, you got to take a look at yourself yeah. then. At least if, common denominator. If these are low totaling people and you can't put more than ten or fifteen pounds on their total, mm-hmm. you know, in a year, two years down the road, three years down the road, and it's like they're putting ten pounds, fifteen pounds, twenty pounds on their total over three years, and they're a low level person. Mm-hmm. That's uh, you're doing something wrong there, bud. Yeah. Unless that client is getting hammered every night or has some like <laughs> medical issue we don't see, but, um, there's no, I mean, it shouldn't be that way at all. Um, even low level people who half listen generally can put 40, 50 pounds on their total, mm-hmm. uh, pretty, pretty easily. Just from consistency. Yeah. So I want to come back to something we had started talking about before we recorded. And it was a conversation that I, I don't know if you remember this, you were actually out on the turf when I was having it, but it was with a a member here and I was explaining how I wanted to do pricing for services. I was talking Mm -hmm. about what kind of services I was doing and she made the comment, well, if you do that, some people aren't going to want that. Yeah. Some people aren't going to either want that particular service or they're not going to want to pay that much. 
Yeah. And my comment was good because I yep. don't want to work with them. Yeah. I actually looked over at you. You just started like kind of laughing about it and you're like, yeah, these are the kind of conversations we have where you can't start there. Like you said, you have to be open to basically everybody. Yeah. But knowing from the very beginning where you want to end up, you find along the way where those opportunities open up that you can start making those decisions. And if you don't know one that you need to make those and two, when you have the opportunities to make them, then you end up, you know, five years, 10 years later where you're this generalist Mm -hmm. working with anyone and everyone, but saying you're a specialist and you see it all the time. When did you both as a business owner and as a coach, because even though those two things are completely intertwined, you, you have to run that a little separately. When did you realize that you could start making that transition? I think for me, it was, um, probably about if we're talking like time into coaching all together, roughly five or six years in. Okay. You know, um, I would say like, you know, when I opened the gym, I had to have, okay. So when I was working for someone else and you know, they were just taking percentage or whatever, it's like, you know, my prices weren't overly high at all. Um, but you know, it's like, okay, when I open the gym, now I have overhead, you know, now I have to pay more bills. Mm -hmm. So likewise, my coaching prices went up a little bit. All right. So once that started going, um, I always kept a fairly, you know, big client list, you know, and, um, at the time, like I, I wasn't doing like, actually at that time, did I even, can't remember if I had, uh, oh yeah, I think I did have social media, like Instagram, but I didn't really do like a bunch of online stuff or anything. It was when I opened the gym. Okay. I started to take on some people here and there online and things. I started to kind of convert over to that. Mm -hmm. Um, about a year into owning the gym, I took my prices up a little bit. When we moved into the new space, I took them up a little bit more. Um, and then they stayed fairly stable for probably the first uh, year, year and a half in here. And then after that, um, I took them up and they stayed stable until just uh, about a year ago. I raised okay. them again. Now, I'm not really necessarily raising them on my new clients unless they or my old clients unless they really wanted um, something. Now, I did have to bring some of them up because they were on such a low level and they were happy to pay it and, and all that, which is great. They support. But I was say, you have some clients who have been with you for what, like eight, nine, ten years? Oh, uh, yeah, a long time. I think the, the couple of the oldest ones have been on since like 2013. So what are we, eight years in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of them yeah. still around from, from that long ago. Um, so they've, that's another thing is they've firsthand seen this growth and seen what everything's become. And, um, you know, I still treat them the same today as I did pretty much day one, you Mm -hmm. know, nothing's really changed with them. Um, so they, they just, you know, unfortunately like it's, it's how business goes. Yeah. Yeah, Their prices had to increase, but also like they're happy to, like I said, they're happy to pay it cause they see the growth and they, they understand the value of what I'm giving them yeah. cause they've watched my knowledge also grow and get them further and further and further. Or, you know, some of them have transitioned different goals and I've been able to adjust that and mm-hmm. stuff too. So, um, so that's worked well. It's not something that's going to happen six months in. 
right. where it's like, okay, I'm charging I don't know, $60 a month for a program. All right, now I can charge $120. i have been coaching for six months. Yeah. Like, no, <laughs> that's not the way. So Understanding it's a, it's a combination. It's not like one factor, and that's why I wanted to ask about time and the difference between the business and mm-hmm. the coaching because there was probably a point prior to five or six years in that, yeah, you could have justified based on what you knew increasing yeah. your price. But what if you don't have the base of clientele to do that? Yeah. Um, from a business standpoint, you had changes in overhead. You had changes in uh, the number of members that you were able to work with because you took on bigger business responsibilities. Like when you yeah. move into the new space, how much more responsibility was suddenly on your plate that, look, I can't take on new clients. And yeah. if I raise my prices, even though I haven't raised them for like two years, mm. if I raise them now and I lose them, I don't have other people to pull from necessarily because mm. I've got all this other investment yeah. in the business. So that's multifactorial. Yeah. And you have, uh, you see it all the time, physical therapists, coaches, even uh, chiropractors, uh, general uh, uh, like personal trainers. Mm. They'll come in at a low price for the first six months to a year. Yeah. And then they'll say, well, I've been doing it. So I'm going to bump up my price for a niche market that I have no mm. experience with. Yeah. based on the market of people around me. Yeah, so they've been doing it for 10 years. Right. Yeah. Like, well, people are paying $120 a month for this sports coach. <laughs> I'm going to be a sports coach. Yeah. So I want to look as valuable as them. Yeah. Without understanding, that's a lot of time in the field. That's mm-hmm. a lot of experience and knowledge yeah. in the field. And they've earned that. Yeah. And you have to weigh, you know, like you said, you have to weigh too is like when you go to raise that price, you, you, you know, on anything, Matt, gym, clients, whatever, you could lose people mm-hmm. and you have to account for that. How many people can I afford to lose based on this exactly. price increase and still be okay? And then do I expect the growth? Cause that's usually why you raise the prices because, um, one, your overhead increases or something like that mm-hmm. or whatever. But like as a coach, you're raising the price because it's simple, like more people demand your time and want your time in your coaching. Mm-hmm. So you can raise to a higher price point based on that. Right. Um, I think there, there is a cap. Some of these things get ridiculous. God, I wish I could blow up names, but there's some, <laughs> there's some people out there that charge $200 a month and it's like, they give no feedback to their clients, but they're like, we're a good lifter or washed up good lifter or they have big Instagram name. Um, you know, 200,000 followers. So I'm going to charge 200 bucks a month and you don't get anything for it. But it's more about the prestige of having that. Yeah. This is my coach. coach. And like, why do people buy into that? I'll never understand. Like, why do you buy into, Oh, didn't say that person's your coach and you hand them your money. That's like, that's all you're doing. Mm -hmm. If I have a coach, I want that coach to be able to guide me and give me feedback when needed keep me restrained when needed Mm -hmm. and let me loose when needed. You know what I mean? Not to just, here's your program. Oh, good job, bud. All right. Uh, that's all my cues for today. Like it's a glorified template. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even if they are guiding something, Mm -hmm. um, I, I took on a client for nutrition. He had a guy who was paying 200 bucks a month to, and he had, uh, tweaked something, injured something. And like he, you know, mess the coach about him. This coach is like the one doing the programming and he didn't say a damn thing about it. You know, like he didn't give him any feedback, didn't tell him how to adjust, just basically like ignored that he even said anything, you know? And it's like, 
I understand like some people like, Oh, okay. My big toe hurt today. Okay. But I think this guy, like, you know, he had like some kind of, I forget what, but he ended up like lightly tearing something, you know, and it's like your responsibility as a coach, you know, it's, but they, but they'll pay that premium for no other reason than the prestige of that coach, which makes no sense. I don't want to work with someone for prestige. Hmm. I want to work with someone for progress. Yep. I don't need to have uh, a certain name attached yeah. to a coach uh, or to a program or anything like that. I want to see, do I get better from yeah. that? And in my experience, this is how I try to operate my business, is that I can find that and I can provide that when it comes from a very small, uh, not unknown in the idea of small, but a coach that isn't working with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Give me very high value in someone who has large quantity of time. No. Because they're not spreading themselves thin. Yeah. And they're not worried about having 200,000 followers and selling off as many of those templates, which they call programming, you know, to as many of them can for $200. Like that's why like I used to cap myself at 25 people I'd work with. Mm -hmm. And I've since then like let loose and, you know, I'll allow more people. But at the minute I ever saw like diminishing, um, quality that I'm putting out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not taking anyone else on. Um, or there are times like if I'm busy, if I'm a lot busier, I will pass people off that I probably could work with, but I choose not to because I feel like I have these other priorities right now that I need to focus on. I feel like taking on someone that it might be borderline, whether I would take them on or not. I can't take that risk of them maybe needing more help than what I can offer you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, at that time and place, I can't take them on. So um, there's ways. And I've had a lot of people. Here's the other thing. This has happened a lot. People I worked with four or five years ago that come back to work with me and they try to, um, they'll email the gym. This happened a couple months ago. Like someone emailed the gym that I used to work with and asked how much, they just asked how much the prices were. And mm-hmm. we gave them the variance of prices. Our lowest coach in here is more than what that person used to pay for me, you know? So they never responded to us because they were pretty much shopping around. Now they, it's like you got your results before, but now you're not willing to pay the price because that's your price premium. Like you think it's worth this much and Mm -hmm. you're not willing to pay that. That's fine. Go somewhere else. Don't get results. Like that's the way we view it. Right. You're not hurting us by like trying to haggle with us or, not work with us because that is our price point to work with us. We right. value our time. So so there are two things in there that I want to bring out with you. One is it's come up a few times now where you said you have other coaches. Mm-hmm. And so I get frustrated when I talk to people who don't understand business enough to know that these decisions are being made as you're going through this process because they say, well, how are you going to pay the bills if you only work with a handful of people? It's like you, you have this other group essentially – yeah. that you will work with Yeah. Um, that you're willing to do, say, the gen pop. Like, let's say you have a breakdown and you say 50% gen pop and then 50% with this niche. Mm-hmm. Over time, as you can raise your prices within the niche because you learn more, you get more experience, you can decrease that over here in the general pop. But that doesn't mean that there's less people coming and asking. So mm-hmm. what do you do? You bring in other coaches that you can then guide those people towards. Yep. And you can yeah. continue helping them out. And then you make sure that you're vetting those coaches so you continue to provide 
the level of quality that you used to yeah. to those people. As those coaches' prices come up, now you're increasing the overall quality of the gym, the overall quality of the brand. And mm-hmm. if you need to, you bring on more coaches yep. to keep taking on the gen pop. Because you don't want to stop offering service. Yeah. But you as an individual, you want to make sure that you're shifting that proportion of your time towards the niche. Yeah. But the other one that uh, I wanted to ask about was you said, at what point I start to see a diminished quality? How do you define that? So for me, it would be that I feel, one, like I can't answer and get back to them um, as much as I would want to or should be doing for the level they're at and the questions they have mm-hmm. and the the things that come up with them individually. Now, mind you, there are times that people just spill their whole life to you and you just, you can't do it. You know what I mean? I ain't got yeah. time for that right now. Like, I'm, that's not necessarily my job as a coach. I do try to mentor a lot of people and I do try, I like to help people. So mm-hmm. I do try to help people, but sometimes I do have to draw that line. Like I can't help you with that right now. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, you know, once I start to see that, like, I can't give this person, um, or the clientele base as a whole, as much attention as I was like, because I have 50 other things going on, or I took on too many people, I will then stop taking on anyone for a while and not everyone stays on forever. So maybe six months down the line, a year down the line, you know, some people, you know, drop off and there's some openings and things, and then I'll take on a flood of people and that's fine. You know, it just depends what, what is, I have a lot of clients that are very easygoing. They listen, they ask the the pertinent questions and the right things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing is ask your coach the right things. Don't just ask them a question that you can easily look up. Don't waste their time like that. Ask them the right things. Or if you do look something up, then come back to them like, I saw this, what do you think? But make sure it's a proper question because your coach, those are things that like coaches that are busier, they don't take people on like that. They don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. And that's why there are some, there are coaches that only take on elite level, top tier kind of people, that top 1% in powerlifting. They won't take on some of the other people just because they don't have time to ask for 9 million questions. Right. You know, it just, it's kind of the way it is. So that's something that both has to be learned, has to be earned mm-hmm. is being able to draw that line yeah. with clientele. Cause when you're working with general population, it's like, yeah, you're going to get a shit ton of questions and they're going to yep. be all over the place with things yeah. and you're going to spend a lot of time. Well, here, here's a great example. If I take on, let's say I take on someone for coaching and nutrition, mm-hmm. okay? And this person is gets their program or whatever I find out, you know, get the questionnaire and I, I give them their program and I'm starting to get a bunch of questions about what an exercise is. They don't even know how to do like some simple ones that mm-hmm. are on there. Um, you know, if I start getting questions like, okay, well, what rep range or uh, what like, intensity should I be doing this, 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 like everything on the program. If I start getting questions about what should I, um, I'm trying to think of the simplest stuff and it's so hard because I haven't, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, you take someone on for nutrition. They've never tracked before. Their diet is crap. They don't know how to eat. They have every myth out there. Well, well, what if I take these macros and intermittent fast with them? Or like, what if I, do this can i sub this for this and this for this when it's like that's 
just, I don't care. Just fill your macros with whatever you want to eat. Or they'll tell me like, you know, I, um, you know, eat 50 grams of protein in the morning, but then I eat 200 at night. Like, whoa. (laughs) uh, Okay. Like, do you know what I mean? Like simple things that like you should kind of know already. I try not to take those kind of people on. Um, and especially like, I'm trying to think of like stuff, even on the program side, like it's dumb little things of like, you tell them to do something, then they'll ask you 10 questions on that one thing. Mm -hmm. Like you tell them, bring your hands in on deadlift and then, you know, and you explain why even, but then it rabbit holes into five other questions just based around that one thing. Right. It's like, don't have time for that. It's the process of teaching them that you're allowed to ask me. Yeah. But it better be a certain quality of question. Yeah. And it needs to stop with that. Yeah. Like, go do that one thing. If you have another question relating to it next week, ask yeah. me that. Yeah. And, you know, you pick a part at it. I'm willing to talk about that because yeah. I'm terribly guilty. When yeah. I was working with you on nutrition, like, I knew, I, like, bombarded you with things. Yeah. Um, some of them weren't even questions. Yeah. It was just like, I'm really concerned about this because I feel like... Uh, when we work, were working, I was trying to make sure that I maintained strength mm-hmm. without feeling too heavy when I was yeah. on rings because it put a lot of stress on my shoulders. Yeah. And I would just like throw things at you where it was like, I don't know, I'm feeling kind of heavy when I'm on rings. Are you sure? And I had to learn, like I'll, I'm humble enough to admit it. Like I had to learn where it's like, just basically trust the process. Yeah. But that well, was the, the end the, result. The people that like, <laughs> they had one down training day. I wouldn't call it bad. One down training day. Well, are you sure I'm eating enough? Well, are you sure that like, should I change this? Should I do that? Well, I'm not feeling stronger. It's been 10 days. Like (laughs) just, just do the program, you know, like those kind of people. I just, I can't, I can't do it. Um, you know, or, uh, one other thing is like people that will scramble around their days. Like, you know, I worked out two days uh but i switched those around from how they were supposed to be mm-hmm. took three days off did my other two days okay i'm ready for the next week and you're already two three days behind so you have to jam pack the next week yeah and then it's just a tumbling ball from there that yeah. like you just screwed up the whole thing like you screw up fatigue management screw up re- the recovery process like we have to now adjust for that okay we'll be back on track in about three or four weeks <laughs> they don't that, that's what people don't understand that if you get off track i know we're sidetracking a little bit here but like if you get off track three days four days on your program yeah that could take three weeks to adjust back everything depending on what phase you're in mm-hmm. and where we're at it could take us three weeks to kind of adjust back to getting everything back in line um especially if it's during a heavy phase and we have to hit these numbers yeah and we need to do this the only other option is I, now i have to cut down volume or i have to cut out a day or i have to cut down accessories or i have to cut something where does that get us in the long term if i start cutting things we don't know and could, everything could you're take saying away. right there that's time that yeah. you as a coach have to then take in order to make those adjustments for somebody. Yep. And if you have someone who is constantly asking you to do that yeah. and you have all that time required, like automatically you can't take on yeah. as many people well, and you're diminishing your quality for the others. You know, it's just like the thing about owning the gym too. It's like, and being a coach, if I come in here to work out, that's my time to work out. I'm not here to, especially when those headphones go in or I'm in, in my workout. We need to get you like a special shirt that you wear when you work out. Like, 
orange just like yeah. if the orange shirt is on you don't talk yeah. to them <laughs> don't like don't come ask me questions that you can email me about i will get back to you mm-hmm. i will answer your question but you can email me you can message me or whatever for that question it doesn't need to be asked right now while i'm trying to work out and right. have my two hours of myself you know my yeah. peace um but likewise like if i walk through the gym and i stop and i have a five minute conversation ten minute conversation with all these people like i've said before two hours have gone by yeah you know so if i have all these clients that have questions they want to ask me in person i'm a you know i'll get down that or i'll start breaking too many things down next thing you know i talk to this one person for 20 minutes mm-hmm. do that three times i wasted an hour of my day when a client that is on point or a client that's more experienced wouldn't have asked me those things in that setting yeah yep in that setting right. that's the big thing so all right um yeah hopefully that kind of kind of understand how to construct your clientele we could go down on that for a very very long time but um i do want to get to questions today because we do have some good ones all right um, starting off with yeah. yours how to hold yourself together as an older athlete in the sport yeah what this question was asked is basically like you know the process through powerlifting like how to go through it and kind of keep yourself together especially as you start to get older or you've been in the sport a while um, I think the most important thing, uh, is setting your ego aside. Mm-hmm. One, uh, don't, you know, you can't lift heavy every single week when you, especially as you get older, um, just doesn't work like that. Uh, so setting your ego aside, I think the fatigue management part is the single biggest thing that once you hit a certain time frame in the sport, certain strength level mm-hmm. or certain bigger thing, certain age, that whole yeah. thing about when you turn 30, like things get harder. It is fucking true. And I can promise you that. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I swear to God on the dot, like that's when it like became a little harder mm-hmm. and I have to focus on recovering more, focus on the diet a little more. Um, things change, you know, you, you have to put in a little bit more work to, to build. You have to, it's not as easy as it was. So the fatigue management and the recovery processes are what's going to help you stay longer in the sport and especially when you're older. Mm-hmm. Now we could get into all the things around programming for those type of people, but we're going to leave that out because I'm, oh, we will rant forever. We'll have yeah. a whole other podcast on that. But you know, the things that are is like, if you've been in the sport a while and you reach a certain strength and things are starting to fall apart a little bit, I'm going to ask you that stuff. How's your sleep? How's your recovery processes? Mm-hmm. Have you seen Dane? Have you had a consult with Dane? Have you been working with any of his stuff that he has? If the answer is no, well, there's your first fault. One right there. And you'll get people like that. Like they, even the younger people, if you're, if you're not held together, then that's something's off in your recovery. Generally, we're not out here like coaches. Yes. We're going to screw up sometimes on the program aspect, but we're programming sometimes based on uh, well, oftentimes, like based on where you are and where you need individual recovery. So for some of my clients that are young in college, living at home, have good money stability, stress-free for the most part, even though they think they have a lot of stress, like, all right, <laughs> like we're lifting a different way than someone who's even 25, working a labor job, got yeah. a kid, kid on the way, whatever. Like things are a little bit different. You know what I mean? We're, we're programming differently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and as you get older, that has to be taken into account even more. So yeah. hold the ego off, work on your fatigue factors. Um, 
and get your diet together are probably the three biggest things. The ego aspect makes the conversation so difficult sometimes Mm -hmm. where whether they want to admit it to themselves that things have gotten harder, recovery has slowed down. When you give them the suggestion of things that they can do, you watch the dismissal happen, right? Well, you know, I'm, I sleep okay. Yeah. And you know, I, I eat pretty clean or, you know, I go and do these couple of things to help out with my recovery. I'm not saying you're a bad person because I'm giving you other things to work on. I'm trying to help you add things into your recovery program that are going to make you feel better. Yeah. I'm not diminishing you as an individual because I said, oh, you don't get adjusted. Well, we can take a look at like when you should probably go see a chiropractor and I've got some that I would recommend. Do you get like any kind of soft tissue work? Uh, Well, you know, I do some foam rolling. It's like if you took that same idea and translated it to strength training and you went to a coach and you're like, hey, I'm not really getting stronger on my squats. And they're like, well, how often do you squat? Like once a month. Yeah. It makes perfect sense why you're not getting better. But if you have that ego come into play immediately because you think that I'm telling you that like you're not good anymore just because you're a little bit older and you need a little more work. Yeah. You got to set that aside. Yeah. I've seen this with like some of my clients Austin's had where it's like they, you know, cause Austin's a little bit younger too. They'll, some of these older guys will talk to him. Like I I would drop these people so quick. I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't be working with you anymore, but like, they, you know, they don't eat right. You know, they're not sleeping right. Like all mm-hmm. this stuff, but they're like, oh, I should do this. Or they go off program and they go heavy that day when Austin didn't have that program because they want to just lift heavy because they can't check the ego, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not where they, you know, they don't realize like you're not 20 anymore, dude. This is why he's advising you to lift lighter, eat right, things like that. But you just know, because we, he's in his we, 20s doesn't mean he's training you like you're in your 20s. Yeah. Like he's smart enough to make yeah. those changes yeah. based on age. Well, we want to, um, I, you know, I love to lift heavy, like leaving the sexual stuff out of it (laughs) next to lifting a heavy weight. The next biggest like rush from like hitting a PR deadlift or something is punching someone in the face, you know? (laughs) So I would love to lift heavy every day. I would love that adrenaline rush every Mm. day. I would love that, you know, endorphin spike after you hit that big lift and you're just fucking, you know, but life doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> so, you know, check your ego and, um, you'll, you'll thank yourself in five years for it. Cause you'll still be in the sport. I but. laugh all the time when I hear people say like, Oh, I'm getting all the time in gymnastics. Yeah. Like I'm, Oh, I'm getting told to do it. Well, how old are you? Oh, I'm like 23. It's like, I've got at least 10 years on you and no. I'm still able to go do it. Why? Because I pay attention to, like you said, the fatigue management understanding how to take care of your body for longevity. Yeah. It's like, are you doing the work to feel better? Well, no. Then, then I don't want to hear it. Exactly. <laughs> There's another one about explaining, um, gave one of my clients cue about like not leaning back in the deadlift. What, what he was doing is he gets in this common amongst a lot of dead, well, a lot of people that deadlift and a lot of powerlifters um, that still do it. Is that when they get going, um, through the deadlift and they get up past the knees, they push their hips forward, but then they keep extending. And it's kind of like that common thing of they, they push back too far. The shoulders just have to be behind the bar. All right. That you don't need to lean way back and put a sheer force in your lumbar to complete the deadlift. When you're past the knees, I always tell people think of like 
two rivers converging into one space. Okay. So your your butt is coming towards the bar and the bar is coming towards your hip. So it's like conversion, mm-hmm. you know, once it's passed there by pushing the hips forward and squeezing the glutes and squeezing the quads. All right. That is all it takes to deadlift okay. and lock it out mm-hmm. for, for the most part. I, you know, I know there's a lot of other things involved, but <laughs> for the simple thing that I can't really show this, I'm trying to explain it right. Yeah. All Do you, you have need a to, video on this one? Um, I, I don't think I might need to make one okay. on that. Yeah. But all you need to do is meet the bar with your hips and the bar should already be traveling up the quads anyway. So it's not like the bar is way out in front of you or anything, right. but it's already traveling up the quads. You just need to get the shoulder behind the bar and lock, lock out that way. Not a giant lean back. Um, like I said, all, all you're doing is one, you're increasing the range of the pole. You're increasing the stress on the body. You're increasing the stress in your lumbar spine, you know, all these things that make absolutely no sense, but you still see so many people do them. Um, now I've been guilty of it too, where I could show you old videos where I would lean back a little bit too far. And, um, you know, I've since fixed that, Mm -hmm. but it still wasn't overly dramatic. It was slight, very slight, but it was there, you know, people will lean back also. And I want, I want to kind of decipher between this people kind of lean back where you can tell they're leaning into their heel a little bit, Mm -hmm. Not the most optimal way, but you know, if it completes the lift and you don't get off balance, okay, because you're not, you're still straight. Your spine is still in alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not flexing uh, backwards. You're not bending backwards and putting force and pushing the lumbar forward. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of the biggest thing is is when you lock out neutral spine. So, what's the other one you got? Uh, thoughts on cross training for weightlifters and powerlifters and two examples that they gave was for example swimming for powerlifters and wrestling for weightlifters Mm -hmm. easy answer right off the bat like i like the idea of cross training but the cross training has to make sure that it's not introducing the wrong type of stress or fatigue Mm -hmm. on the area and just making sure it's done at the right time in the right amount yeah um and there are obviously examples for cross training that are just terrible ideas yeah um because of the movement you're doing and the type of stress that's involved in it yeah but in general without going into specifics if it's picked correctly and i know that's a big conversation yeah like i like the idea mm-hmm. i i think it, again this this depends on the experience of the person in both of those too so let's take if you're swimming you know and you're a power lifter Easy on the joints, good form of cardio, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. But how much have you swam before? Exactly. How much have you, what's your efficiency in swimming? Mm-hmm. You know, are you flopping around everywhere? Or are you a real efficient <laughs> swimmer? You know, things like that. Um, you know, and what are you using it for? Are you just using it to go through active recovery, very low intensity? Are you doing sprints? You yep. know, what what are you doing? That So there's a lot of questions with that. But in, in a sense, like I... Um, before they, you know, COVID hit and they started shutting down pools and stuff, I would go to the natatorium and um, I'd go like once a week mm-hmm. and I would swim a little bit. And during my deload, I might pick it up a little bit, but nothing that was like too intense or crazy. The, you know, there's things you got to watch for too, because you got to remember there's a lot of lat movement in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of shoulder movement. There's rotations and things. That, um, not to mention, like if you haven't been swimming, you're gonna strain. You're not gonna strain, but you're gonna feel strain in your hip flexors, things mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, be smart with it, be short with it, um, and, and keep low intensity. But, um, 
you know, all those things have to be taken into account because those are all things that you need in powerlifting. So right. if you tire those out or you move wrong and all of a sudden you strain your muscle when you're lifting because it's fatigued from swimming, yeah. you're not realizing it. Um, the familiarity aspect is huge. Yeah. Even if you are very deconditioned, if yeah. your body has a background in swimming, yeah. um, you'll come back to it a lot easier. Yeah. But you still have to take the level of conditioning mm-hmm. into account too. Um, there was a, a weightlifter. It was like two years ago, one of the female weightlifters. I was saying you can do swimming on the day. It was a uh, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're essentially treating it more like a, like an active recovery or like a like a prep mm-hmm. to get ready for Monday. But you have to have yourself at a certain heart rate for a short duration. It's got to be low intensity. Yeah. And if you get above that, you're actually going to make Monday worse. Yeah. But if she was familiar enough with swimming that it wasn't going to have like a neurological fatigue. Yeah. She was conditioned enough that she wasn't going to be tired necessarily from it. And we could use that as long as we did, like you said, the right duration, mm-hmm. the right intensity. And that one happened to work out well because not only is it easy on the joints, but it was familiar yeah. on the body. That worked out well. Worked out really well. But you take that same situation, you have someone who is unfamiliar, deconditioned, and they're like, well, they said it was good as cross-training. It could be the worst decision in the world. You do it on the wrong day. Yep. The other one I'm not a big fan of, like, unless you're coaching wrestling, been a wrestler all your life, not a huge fan of that one. Just because, um, and now it depends, like wrestling as in just light tumbling and, um, you know, you're just kind of going through the movements, the motions, you know, and it might, the thing is like, even that slight motion into a compromised position, you know, and and if you're Mm -hmm. practicing, you're not going heavy and hard, you might be a little tight from lifting or something like that, or tighter than you think since last time you wrestled and you get into a compromised position. Next thing you know, you know, your bicep tears or your elbow, uh, you pop something in your Mm -hmm. elbow or, you know what I mean? Your shoulder, all these things. Um, it's great a great conditioning, body awareness, overall body strength sport. Yeah. All right. But you have to remember like, again, what you're trying to do, which is more important. You know, if you're trying to really cross train as a wrestler and be a serious Olympic lifter, probably ain't going to work very yep. well at all. That was like the conversation could, we had last week where yeah. it's like, could now the opposite, could a wrestler benefit from weightlifting? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing it to where like you're trying to really push both isn't smart. And like I said, wrestling, like because of the factors it takes on the body, I wouldn't recommend trying to do that and be a serious weightlifter. So, all right. So a couple of the factors that come in mind, number one, where are you in your season? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your level of experience yep. uh, with both parts? Like the activity that you're thinking about doing for cross training, but also either powerlifting or weightlifting. Um, What's your current level of conditioning? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, where do you need that conditioning to be? No. Like how, how much explosive and anaerobic work do you need to have uh, within uh, wrestling, or sorry, within Olympic weightlifting? No. Are you overdoing that by going in and doing wrestling? Or no. Are you complementing it? Um, and you know, take wrestling out of it and like a, an activity like that. Make sure that it complements how much of that conditioning you need to have for your main sport and then you're only doing it in the duration and uh frequency that works well um but what i do like about the idea of cross training for either one of those is like moving in different planes of motion is just it's very healthy Mm -hmm. i mean for the body in general um 
you know, muscularly, but also neurologically to kind of bring up some awareness. As long as that awareness is recognized as a neurological fatigue. Like yeah. if you're doing something you're not familiar with, the body's going to perceive that as learning. It's fatiguing. Yeah. It's just, it's all those have to be taken into account. And that's not hard to do once you know what those factors are. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say like, oh, this is really complex going through. It's yeah. not. Well, it's, you know, but it is important. It's something similar to like, um, past two years, I haven't golfed a lot, right? Mm. And this past summer, I went and like, I ended up because of how many times, you know, you reach back and everything. Like, I had an issue in my, um, in my left shoulder for like three weeks after, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just from reaching back so much. Mm-hmm. And it, it, again, what I'm not used to moving in that plane. Yeah. You know, I'm not used to swinging that much. Um, so that stupid me, you know, went out and like basically strained something in my shoulder that bothered my lifting for a couple of weeks because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, you know, and, and hopefully that I'm just smarter next time and I ease into that a bit. <laughs> I don't go try to whack balls around that quick, but it, you know what I mean? It just because you think you're fit and conditioned or strong and this yeah. and that, but I never had that issue before, but it's because I hadn't golfed in a while that mm-hmm. I had that issue. So, um, yeah, I think that that pretty much covers our stuff today. I yeah. need to, I need to move my body around. Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of uh, movement. So, um, you have any it, announcements coming up? Uh, oh, I do. I did put out my uh, template. If you guys check my social media on Rivaled Strength Social Media, um, template's $25 a month. It does run if you do the whole thing for 52 weeks. So it gives you a very long time of powerlifting. Um, it might even be something good if you want to try uh, a different program or something. Um, you know, get on it for a couple months and maybe switch to individual or, or just to do something different. Um, I believe the first testing part of it is at like 20 weeks in. So, um, again, if you're, you know, if you're someone newer intermediate in powerlifting, um, that's more who it's programmed towards. Uh, and then people that don't have structure at all, it is a great way to get structure because it is very structured. Um, it tells you exactly what to do percentage wise. And then there, um, once you get towards testing, there is some RPE mixed in there, um, and there's a lot of guidance on it. I do give some auto regulation and things for those percentages, but um, it, it's a great way to get structure. I already have a couple people on it already, so um, it's it's. I'm excited to see like, especially the the people have are on it, like where they get to mm-hmm. in just that first twenty weeks or so, um, and see you know kind of what happens on it. So, um, let's see. Other stuff I'll kind of save. We're still working on some meat things and all that um, for the fall. So there's some work in progress there. We're starting to get our sponsorship stuff together nice. and talk to people. Still have the so, uh, level one coming up for UCW yeah, with level Dan Bell. It's at the end of February. So if you're not signed up for that and you need to get your level one, or honestly, it's even a great way to, um, if you ever think you're going to be a coach or or you just want to know more mm-hmm. about weightlifting, um, it's good, good course to do. If you are some sort of, uh, you know, trainer, coach, anything like that, and you need CEU, you eat CEUs. Um, I believe it is an accredited thing where you do get CEUs as well. I would put it out there for practitioners too. Like if you know, speaking of the 
earlier topic, if you're somebody who says that they're going to work with athletes, yep. one of the best things you can do is experience how they move. Yep. Even if you're not experiencing it in the same intensity or frequency, just going through the movements and learning from someone who is as good of a coach as Dan mm-hmm. Bell is. So you're understanding what they're being instructed to do, yeah. how they're being cued. Now you yep. kind of speak some of their language. You yep. know what the body's going through. You can work with them a lot better. Yeah. And they, they do go over even a, a touch of like programming design in there, I believe mm-hmm. as well. So just learn some things, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And we'll, we'll get to other things next week. Thank you. Have a good one.